filled with gratitude for all that you have done to us and for us. We have gathered our thoughts for worship and we have prepared our hearts, Lord, to sing your praise. But life has taken its toll and there are things that have happened this past week that have made us tired and lost focus. We, we don't want to give our worst, but we want to be refreshed in your presence. We want to be refreshed in your spirit so that our worship of God is a reflection, it is a response to your goodness and to your presence here this morning as we've entered into your cathedral of praise. Father, this morning there are some people who are here for the very first time and they're coming to join us. And I pray, Father, that they would especially feel your love and your, uh, your <coughs> grace through the people here. They would know that they are home, they're with family, they're not part of a ceremony, but they're part of a celebration of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us a long, long time ago on the cross. So I want to thank you, Lord God, and I want to lift your name, the name of Jesus, and I want to give you worship, give you praise, give you thanksgiving, give you honor. And even some of us, Lord, who are just so tired or so far from you, in our darkest hour, we will still sing. We will still find that song deep within us, Lord, to know that it is in our relationship with you, an unhindered, untethered relationship with you, that we find peace and joy, we find fulfillment, we find wholeness and completion of that. Release the anointing of your spirit this morning on everyone here who's ministering and who's being ministered to. Everyone who's here for the first time and everyone who's been coming forever. I pray, oh God, that everyone would know that they have just touched the feet of God. They've been in the presence of the Most High God.
song we sung growing up. Let's all get on our feet and sing this beautiful hymn. Those of you who know it, sing it out loud. It's on the words uh, on the screen there. If you don't know it, then uh, just enjoy the ministry of the words to you.
from the things that bind us and slow us down and rob us of the joys and the blessing you have in store for us. Does anybody here feeling uncomfortable, feeling weird, feeling out of place? Embrace them, Lord God, so that they know they are home. <clears throat> Speak through your servant and comfortably and technically take him out of the way so that your people find your, themselves before God himself, dealing with the words of God and the will of God. In Jesus' name I pray. This morning I'm excited, we're starting a new series entitled None of you are on Facebook, right? None of you are on Facebook. You saw the interview with Mark Zuckerberg and everybody signed up. Instagram, come on, there's got to be another way I get this. Overcoming me. We all have these moments when we feel defeated by the self. This is one of those moments when you feel defeated. You feel stupid about what you did. You feel angry about what you did. Or you feel uh, regret about what you did. And you found yourself in a situation where had you been a little more brave, had you been a little bit more uh, certain, had you been a little bit more stronger, had you been less uh, angry or not lost your temper. You know those moments, those moments where you're like, Darn it, if, if only I had been more in control of myself, I would have been able to respond better. A lot of the regrets in our life have to do with those moments and we find ourselves blaming other people. If they had not behaved like that, if they had not said that, if that auto hadn't come on, had come on time, if that person had, if that meeting had started on time, if the result had come on time, if someone else was more, a little bit more competent, I would have been able. But the fact of the matter is you know that it is it lies with you. You've, you see these amazing quotes on Instagram and everywhere else where you, you are the only hurdle. You are what stops you from being everything you want to be. You are the, uh, you know, you are, you are the answer. You are the answer. Yes, I know, that's wonderful, that's great. It looks great in a quote, but how do you make it happen? How do I overcome me? If I'm my greatest hurdle, if I'm what I need to deal with that, how do I overcome me? And you know what, the Bible has answers. And the Bible shows us and tells us how we do exactly that. So I want you to commit to two or three things with me. Because never am I going to just preach a message, be all sanctimonious about it, you know, shake your hand and say goodbye. Have a nice life. We are here to see lives change. We're here to see God move in each of our lives. So if you're a man, we want you to be a more Christ-like man. If you're a woman, we want to be a more Christ-like woman. If you are married, then we want a better marriage, a stronger marriage, a richer marriage. Uh, uh, if you are single or separated, we want you more healthy. We want you more uh, feeling complete in Christ. Are you with me? Have you tuned in? Yeah. yeah? Or is breakfast still working? <laughs> I can smell it from here. No, no. <laughs> Okay, so that's a, that. Those are the moments. I'm, I, I, I'm, when I look back, you know, I wish I was just a little stronger. I wish I had more control over myself. You know, and when I was in my teens, early teens, had I gone to DSM and I had I learned music, and I've been a little bit more strict about had I given myself to exercise. <laughs> You know, in my 30s, had I just walked every day for half an hour, maybe I would not be regretting this in my. Uh, Late 30s. 
our laziness, our inhibitions, our temper, our expectations, our insecurities, our pride, our personal ambitions. It's the self, it's the ego or ego. It is me that has robbed me of being what God wants me to be and that is a, and that's a loving person, it's a loveful person. And before we go forward, I want to take the chapter which I'm going to chew through over the next few weeks. We're going to go through this over the next four, five, six weeks and I'm going to break it down to see and the angle at which I'm coming at this chapter is to see what is it about me that stops me from being that, okay? Love is patient, love is kind, love is enduring, love, oh wonderful, beautiful, write it on the skin, put it on the wall, bye bye. But what stops me, what is, what, what, in the moment, in that moment, and when it, that love is patient, Lala, when that's needed, what happens? Why is it not, on, why is it not here, why is it only on the wall, or in my Bible? That's what I want to work through. So I want you to commit to working with me through that. Perhaps with a small group or with your family, if you could use the notes that I send to you uh, over the next few weeks in your family and discuss this in your family. Because the family is the place where it best plays out. You can't lie to your family. You ask if I'm, I'm a loving person. You'll get the truth. <laughs> your family, you small group, church, Workplace, everybody is coming from their own angles to see their answer according to, you know, how they think this is going to pan out. But your family, they don't care. They're just going to tell you. And if mom's asked, am I a loving person? Am I patient? Am I easily provoked? <laughs> you can tell the next few weeks is going to be fun. <laughs> and we're going to work through this. And it, you know, it, 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 I'll, I'll crack jokes so that the hurt, you know, <laughs> we just get covered a little bit, you know, so you can laugh, laugh, hurt, hurt, laugh, laugh, hurt. That's, it's called therapy. So we'll work through that. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, allow me to read it slow and clearly. You follow with me in your Bibles or on the screens. I'm in the ESV version. This is the most uh, user-friendly, reader-friendly version nowadays. If you, have, if you have a good news version, please get rid of it. If you have a King James version, just... Give it to your grandmother something. Why is If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong. For those of you who want to I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, I have not love, I am nothing. I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burnt, and have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love doesn't boast. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It does not insist on having its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It just never ends, never fails. Prophecies will pass away, they will fail. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will be finished, it will be re-edited, re it will be, uh, it'll be uh, 
revised for we know some bits we know in part we know and we prophesy in part but when the perfect comes the partial will pass away it doesn't say when we know in part and when the full comes it will be complete it says the part will be passed away and the full will replace the part note what are we talking about when i was a child paul says I acted like a child, I spoke like a child, I jumped like a child, I reacted like a child. I was immature, everybody knew I was a child. I had my childish ways. But when I became a man, I gave up childish things. I put away childish behavior. So this is a matter of growing up, it's a matter of maturity, it's a matter of development. For now, when now, we see in a mirror dimly, we see a slight reflection, we see a vague sort of a reciprocation, but then face to face we will see, now I know in part, but then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. So, now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Are you ready? You ready? So if you're smart, if you really want to see some changes and if you want to see some relationships uh, revamped in your life, you want to see some things move in your life, you've got to work on yourself. But with God's help, with God's help, I'm going to talk about that in just a bit. So bring your notes, take, take notes, do something in order to remember what God is telling you, what God is telling you. I'm not here for the content, I'm here for the conversion, the conversion of me to Christ conversion of me to Christ. Okay, let's begin. So we need to go back to the word love and define love again. Redefine love again. What is the opposite of love? Wrong. What is the opposite of love? Say hate. Say hate. Everybody say hate. Wrong. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is me. The opposite of love is selfishness, it's self-centeredness, it's ego. There's either you can be loving or you can be selfish. Hate is an emotion. Love is an action. So hate can't be the opposite of love. But love is a verb. The opposite of love is selfishness, it's self-centeredness, it's self-seekingness, it's self-preservedness. When you start with the self and you live for yourself. The opposite of that is so loving yourself. Have you heard that term? Loving yourself is not the greatest love of all. In fact, loving yourself is not love at all. I'll tell you what the confusion is. I'll, I'll clear it up. Here's the confusion. The confusion is between self-worth and and <laughs> the confusion. <laughs> the confusion between self-worth and self-sacrifice. Self-worth is your value. Self-sacrifice is your usefulness. Your usefulness. I want you to get this before you get one Corinthians 13. I want you to understand this. This is if you get this, you can get up and leave. Don't but <laughs> The confusion is self-worth, that's your value that is mixed or, 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 or confused with usefulness. Our value is in who we are. Our value is in who we are. Our usefulness is in who 
we are to others or what we are to others. Jesus said to his disciples, now that I, your Lord and Master, have done these things, you ought also to do them. Identity, service. Your service flows out of your identity. Your identity doesn't flow out of your service. Oh, I'm a government servant. No, you're not. You're working with the government for 25 to 30 years. When you were 15, you were not with the government. When you're 85, you're not with the government. You are not a government servant. You're a child of God. Are you getting where I'm going with this? Identity is where what you value. You can have a diamond. A diamond has intrinsic value. A diamond has intrinsic value on its own. But it's not useful until a lady wears it. So the diamond needs a lady to wear it for it to be useful. It is still valuable, but it is not useful. So you are valuable, deal done, signed, sealed. You are valuable. Why? Because you were made in the image of God. You are the only creation for which Jesus shed his blood. He came all the way to redeem that which was lost or marred by sin because of your intrinsic value. You were not saved because you sinned. You're saved because you're valuable. You were forgiven because you are loved, but you are saved because you are valuable. And when God reached down to earth and he saved you, it is because you look like him. You were made in his image. You are valuable to him. Your intrinsic worth is signed and sealed before the foundations of the earth. Your usefulness is a whole other subject. So you can be a diamond that's sitting in the safe, or you could be a diamond that's on a hand. Are you with me? <coughs> And you are useful or not useful based on your ability to overcome yourself. We were made in God's image, therefore we are intrinsically, individually high value. We don't need anybody, you don't need anybody else to add value to your life. You are intrinsically valuable. You don't need a man, you don't need a woman, you don't need a job, you don't need rupees, you don't need wealth, you don't need looks, you don't need anything, you are intrinsically valuable. If you were lying flat in hospital, half dead, you are as valuable as you are shining in the lights on stage or in a magazine. You are the same, you are valuable. You don't need anybody, are you hearing this? Teenagers, are you hearing this? Men, are you hearing this? Ladies, are you hearing this? My sisters, you don't need anyone to add value to you. You are intrinsically and completely valuable. But we were also created to serve. We were created in God's image, but the purpose for which we were created was to serve. So when you take all the trouble to hone out that diamond, find the diamond, excavate or whatever you call that, you get that diamond out, you shine it, you shape it, you mold it, you, 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 you polish it, and it's pristine in all of its beauty, and it just sits in the cupboard, useless, then it is not being used for its purpose. So it is valuable, but useless. Are you getting this? Are you getting this? Okay, great. Because until you get this, you won't understand what God means with love. What God means by love. We were made in God's image. Therefore, we are intrinsically valuable. We don't need anybody else to add value to us. But we were created to serve. Therefore, we are interdependent. Therefore, we do need others to be useful. I can't be useful on my own. I need you to be useful to, because what I am to you, what I do for you, is what makes me useful. God 
what created you, the purpose you were created, was to have a ministry. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through to 10, especially verse 10, he says, you are God's masterpiece. You were created to serve. Are you beautiful? Yes, you are. Are you valuable? Yes, you are. But you were not made to just sit on a shelf. You were made to serve. The primary calling on your life is God's purpose for why he created you, and that is to serve. To serve, not to serve man, but to serve a purpose. We are purpose driven. <coughs> to serve a purpose. So that's laying a foundation and understanding what God is saying to us. So you must value yourself, but you must also be useful to others. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. The problem is when we think being used by somebody, did you hear that? Being used by somebody or giving myself away to somebody else, to somebody else's success, renders me devalued. I don't want to be your servant. Why should I be your servant? Why should I give myself to you? Why should my life be used by you? Oh, they just used me. They just used me. They just came and they used me and they went. A spoon never says that. <laughs> Spoon doesn't talk also, I know, I know, but <laughs> Spoon never talks about it, just used me. Just used me and chopped me in the thing, and then just washed me and used me again. <laughs> Are you with me? If you were made to be useful, then if you're not useful, it's a problem, not if you're useful. But if you understand that your worth is not tied into your usability, your worth is not tied into your usefulness, and that is well separated, well protected, well defined, and sealed forever, well paid for, then you won't have a problem being used. People will not become the enemy. There's no losses of your life. You're only used for purposes, and if you're used for the wrong reasons or abused, God will heal and make you useful, even in your abuse. Because your greatest ministry is going to come out of your abuse and not so much out of your use. The problem is when we think being used or giving uh, ourselves away uh, renders us devalued. Today we want to begin a process of setting some beliefs right. When you understand that, when you believe the right thing, when you understand the difference between value and usefulness, that's when you begin to love people freely. Paul raises three areas of our being that are rendered useless, that are rendered useless if we are not loving people. What is love? Love is a verb. Love is being useful to others. Love is overcoming me so that I can bless you. In order to bless you, I must be willing to overcome me. So the thing that's stopping me from being a loving person, or acting lovingly, or being useful here on this earth, in this world, is me. Don't go with the whole, I am bad, you are good. And I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm saying ego, self, is what stops us because it is self-preservative, it is self-centered, and it seeks its own. All right? So here's the three things that Paul says, and let's move through this quickly. Number one, unloving, I say basically nothing. Unloving, I say basically nothing. What does he say? If I speak in the tongues of men, the word tongues in the Bible means the language. Tongues means languages. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong, I am a clanging symbol. There's not much to explain here. 
even if you can speak in languages that are lofty like the angels or you could speak in multiple languages of men and come across as very educated and multicultural if your mind is able to absorb culture and, 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 and be able to express beautifully poetically but you're not a loving person everything that's coming out grind 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 you're ducker This is Paul. He was an educated man, double doctor, leader, leader of the anti-church movement, brought to his knees in 30 seconds by Jesus Christ. This is Paul. Paul says, if you're not a loving person, then you're just a noisy gong. So he says in the mind, if your mind is able to comprehend languages, if your mind is able to comprehend and, and you're able to express great thoughts, great things, Pointless. Number two, unloving, I am nothing. Unloving, I am nothing. So he goes into the spiritual realm, the mystical realm, the prophetic realm. He says, if I have prophetic powers, you know how we get scared of people who are anointed, and we, we, we step away from people who are anointed, and suddenly they don't they're not human anymore, and when they make a mistake, we're like, oh, how did that happen? We get all broken and cut up in pieces and you know. When people have prophetic gifts or, or supernatural or spiritual gifts and they are able, Paul is saying even if I had that, if I had prophetic powers and understood, circle the number of alls, if I understood all mysteries, secrets of the universe and all knowledge, Google. And if I have all faith, great faith, all faith, so much faith that I can say to a mountain, move and the mountain gets up and runs. If I have all of that, but I have not love, I am nothing. The first one is I say basically nothing of any worth. Number two, I am nothing of any worth. You could be prophetic, you could be powerful, you could be spiritual, you could be all that. And you're nothing if you can't love your wife, if you can't love your husband, if you can't love your children, if you can't love your neighbors, if you can't forgive, if you can't get over yourself and move on. Great insight is being displayed, but I'm not serving any purpose. Unloving, I am nothing. Number three, he says, unloving, I gain nothing. Unloving, I gain nothing. If I give away all I have, so now you're going into the whole humanitarian thing. Yeah? You live poor, frugal, not Google. Frugal. You know what that means? Google it. <laughs> I give everything away. And I, I, I become the poorest of the poor. He says, even if I give up my body to be burned, that's total consummation. Even if I give, if I'm so sacrificial that, 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 that people say he gave everything, everything he had on earth, his last penny. If I give all that, denial and deprivation. And if I deliver up my body to be born, but I have not love, said, I gain nothing. Look at this losing versus gaining. If I lose everything, but I have not love, I gain nothing. I'm the biggest loser ever. 
I'm the biggest loser ever. So he's got his mind and his spirit, body, on body. Mind, spirit, and body. All three areas Paul covers. In every area, he says, you could be the greatest of the greatest in all of these three areas, and if you're not loving, you're not anything. If you're not loving, you're not everything. Oh, I gave all my wealth away. I was so good. I did a lot of good works. What you're good for? Let's conclude. <laughs> Here's what you don't want to do. Here's what you don't want to do. Number one, you don't want to attempt behavioral change with the same belief system still in place. If the belief system doesn't change, the operating software doesn't change, the way you think doesn't change, what you believe does not change, you can keep changing the behavior on the outside, you'll get really frustrated because the internal system has not changed, the way and why you do, the nurture and nature has not changed, then you can keep trying on the outside to modify behavior and responses to others and you can keep relearning and relearning and you'll get frustrated and you'll fail and you'll turn it on other people and say, if only you cooperated with me, I would have been a better person. If only you came on time, if only you were more attentive, if only you were more responsive, I would have been a nicer, more loving person. Answer? No, you wouldn't have. You wouldn't have. You don't want to attempt behavioral change. I'm talking about the next few weeks. This is what you don't want to do as you process every single area of what Paul talks about in the next few verses. You don't want to attempt behavioral change when the belief system remains the same. You will get frustrated, you will give up, and you will take it out on people. Number two, you don't want to accept societal expectations so you can just fit in. You don't want to accept societal expectations so you can just fit in. You go into a workplace, there are certain expectations, you behave like that. You come to church, there are certain expectations, you behave like that. And you have all of these things to different people and you get frustrated at the end because you don't feel an integer. You don't feel whole. You don't feel one. You feel decompartmentalized. You feel fragmented. You feel divided. And then you lose on your identity. You don't know who you are anymore. And then it becomes a value thing more than a usefulness thing. And when you don't feel valued, you pretty much don't want to be used. You feel... So you don't want to do that. When you go into a place and you're modifying your behavior based on societal expectations, you become pretentious. Hindi word? Hindi word for pretentious? The coward? Anything else? You become pretentious. Everybody got that? You know why people are pretentious? Where does pretentiousness come from? It comes from insecurity. It comes from low self-esteem. It comes from low respect. It comes from low honor. It comes from less affirmation. And all of those are value issues. Are you getting where this is going? You, do, you sort your value out. And God will sort your usefulness. That's why in church, Sometimes we are not quite practical. We keep teaching theology. Theology. What is theology? It's truth. It's truth. Truth is the nails that keep the framework in place. Truth is the, it's the structure that keeps the frame in place. It is the, it's the glue that keeps the frame in place. Because your value is independent of your usefulness. And you don't mix those things. You don't want to be pretentious. When you're pretentious, you act out of insecurity, you act out of uncertainty, you act out of slow self-esteem and all the gunk in your life and how people have used you and abused you become the basis for which you respond. 
I never got that in my life when I was growing up. I never got that. Now why should I give that to anybody else? In my hard work, I got all that. Or the other is where you compensate. You know, you never had that while you're growing up. Now I'm going to just give myself so much of it. You know, never had pizza when I was growing up. Now every day I'll have pizza. And then we take it to the next level where we compensate with our children because when we couldn't, when we as people we grew up, we didn't have certain things from our parents. Our parents had the ability to say no. <laughs> it's a simple one syllable word, but they had the magic ability to say no. We are not capable of saying no. So we take it and count the compensation all the way to the next generation. We say, I will never let my child suffer. I will never deprive my, my child was never deprived. So if the principal says anything, if the teacher says, how can it, my child, my child, how can you, in our generation, if I got thrashed in school, and I came home and I told that I got thrashed in school, the question is, why did you get thrashed in school? And I gave the reason, because I'm a fool and I tell the truth. And then I got thrashed again. <laughs> why are you not going to die? Why did you have to get thrashed? Everybody knows you got thrashed. Everybody knows I got in front of it. <laughs> okay, that's just maybe my father. <laughs> but the point is that we compensate with our children and we say, if we didn't have that, dude, you came out okay. You came out okay. Life has not helped you, dealt you a bad hand. You'll be Indian, that's not going to change. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> but other than that, life has not dealt you a bad hand and you don't have to save your children from absolutely everything. So when I didn't get it here, when I didn't get it while growing up, when I didn't have immediate access, immediate everything, the latest toys, the latest gadgets, now I'm going to make sure that my kid, oh, come on, come on, come on. All of that is coming from insecurity, which is coming from pretentiousness, which is coming from a lack of understanding of our value. We all need to belong. We need security. We were always made to be with the people, family, friends. In the absence of love, one might become more susceptible. In the absence of love, one might become more susceptible to clinical depression, to social anxiety and social norms, and even to loneliness. So love is what really drives us. And we are not talking about romance or feelings. We're talking about something far greater, far deeper, that has to do with usefulness. For lack of a better term, or just to move forward in our understanding, let me just seal it right here. God's love for you is in what he did, how, what he did for you. Your love for anybody else is what you do. And therefore, love is usefulness. I love you. That means I'm saying I'm going to be useful to you. Okay, we'll pick this up and we'll, we'll unpack it as we go forward. Number three, you don't want to attempt in the flesh what is supposed to be done in the spirit. Because whatever I'm talking about, whatever's going to guard this pulpit, whatever I'm saying, this is something you need to do. Don't go and try it on your own. Get on your knees, pray, ask God to give you the strength and let God's work do that in your life. If you want to be more of anything, let God do that. Because the fruit of the Holy Spirit lasts forever. Your fruit does not. So we want to be sure about that. So, faith, hope, and love, these abide. But the greatest of these is love. But what if these were not three independent ideas? Give me five more. What if this were not three independent ideas, but they were actually steps moving forward? Faith, hope, and 
love. What if there were next steps? Faith is believing God's definitions and God's purposes for my life and relationships. It is acting on God's word and God's vision. The world tells me I'm valuable because of this. My parents tell me I'm valuable because of this. My boyfriend or, or, or girlfriend or my, my fan club tells me I'm valuable because of this. But God tells me, if you do this, this will happen. If you act like this, this will happen. What God says becomes the script of my life. It becomes the marching orders of my life. What Jesus says becomes the marching orders. Are you with me? Are you getting with me? Okay. So faith is trusting his word. Faith is trusting his definition. You're sitting here listening to a definition about love that the world does not agree with. Faith is saying what he's saying is right. Are you getting it? <coughs> Got it? Okay. So faith is believing in God's definition. Once you believe it, think. Once you believe it, you then feel it. You then feel it. Hope. Hope is looking for outcomes that result from this. Is there any examples? Are there any examples of people who have done this? And the, and the writer of Hebrews says there's a cloud of witnesses. Chapter 11, chapter 12. There's a cloud of witnesses of those who have trusted God. And because of faith, they have seen the fruit of God's faithfulness. Are you with me? So hope is looking for outcomes that God has ordained in our life and relationships that come from trusting his word. First word, faith. That's a mind thing. I trust God's word. Two, hope. That's feelings. I look forward to it. I'm passionate about what might come from this. And finally, I act on it. I act on it. So I now act lovingly because I believe and I feel what God is saying is true. So I love. Love is acting on faith and hope. Love is a verb. Love is putting aside the self to be you. But what if I put myself and I put him first? Then when he hears me, will he take advantage of me? Will he walk over me? Will she abuse me? What will happen if I put myself aside? I believe God's word to be true. So I hope that it will come about. And then I act on it. And then I see God's word. And then I have more faith. And then I act, feel more. And I act more. And you become a more loving person starting with faith, not with love. You become a more loving person starting with faith and trusting what God says to be true because it is a value issue and a usefulness issue. You're smart people, you're getting it. I can hear the cogwheels moving. So faith, hope and love, these abide. But the greatest of these is love. Why? Because you could be valuable but not Jesus. Jesus acted on God's word and gave his life for you. The greatest act of love is actually what Jesus has done. So I call you to a commitment, a commitment to overcome me. A commitment to see this happen in your life and to see the fruit of this. With every head bowed and every eye closed, God is saying something to you, you're feeling something, you're thinking something, respond to God. Even if you have to say, I don't believe any of this, I don't know what he's talking about, say that to God. Say that to God, you might be surprised with the response. But talk to God right now.